Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Just to follow up on yesterday, we had an intriguing interview yesterday with Leo Quinlan about his father, Pat, who had served in the Irish Army in Jeddaville, where 157 Irishmen basically led a tactical, astute um, a commander routed a force of 3,000 attackers, killing 300 of them while suffering no fatalities. These men, of course, were established as heroes back in 2017, but still haven't received any medals yet. And of course, they were heroes because it was 300 against 3,000, or 157 against 3,000 people. And uh, they held them off. For five days, you heard the harrowing story yesterday. Leo spoke in great detail and gave a great story. He was a great storyteller about being else. So many people said they felt like they were there listening to him about his father and what he what he had gone through and the experience he'd gone through. And just on the back of that, Michael called us as well, Michael Kelly. Uh, Michael, good afternoon to you. And good afternoon to you. Michael, you were also a soldier in Jadaville. I was indeed, and uh, one of the first soldiers to walk into Jadaville town. And what can can you remember that like it was yesterday? Oh, it, I, it never leaves us. We, we, it is part of us now. We, it comes in the form of PTSD. And and you did you, you did you hear Leo yesterday when he spoke to us yesterday so passionately about it? Unfortunately, I missed that particular interview. But I've spoken to Leo personally yeah. at the presentation of medals and on, th- on the second of the twelfth seventeen. And I, I, I'm not going to go over the whole story again, but from your memory, I mean, what was your, what was the first, I suppose, sign that you believed that something was going to go very wrong? Can you remember that day? Well, as I said, we, my section commander and myself walked into Jadaville Town, uh, one mile from our camp, and we sat down to have a glass of beer, and a nice black gentleman came in to speak to us and told us in no uncertain terms to leave town, that we weren't required or wanted, mm-hmm. that UN personnel were not desirable in the town. Because you were there as peacekeepers, of course, for the UN, yeah. That's right, yeah, and we were dressed in our, our khaki and blue beret. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, he advised us at that particular time to leave town and to inform our commander, who was Commandant McMahon, to withdraw his troops before hostilities began. And on returning to our camp, we observed that the enemy troops were digging in around the camp. And we duly informed our commander of the situation that was developing and the instructions we had got from the Lord Mayor of the town. And uh, for my punishment, I was put peeling potatoes that night for walking into town without permission. Okay. And I said, look, I'd be, I'd be eating those potatoes the following day. But as it turned out, that did not happen. We were withdrawn from that camp the following morning on the understanding that um, we were being withdrawn and not being replaced. But as, the, as history tells us, we passed a company, which was Commandant Quinlan's company, mm-hmm. uh, traveling on the same road against us, uh, arriving into Jadaville. And uh, this is where we realized that there was a terrible misunderstanding occurring, that it should should have been a complete withdrawal and not a rotation. So they they were basically replacing your shift, so to speak, to put it in simple terms. Exactly, yeah. 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 And uh, we we ended up trying to to break the siege, and uh, which resulted in, in 
B Company, which was my company, uh, arriving back at, at uh, Lufera Bridge twice in the same week, uh, trying to break through, to be, trying to break up the bridge and the roadblocks. And what sort of provisions did you have? I mean, obviously, Leo spoke yesterday about the lack of provisions and the lack of artillery and the lack of we, weaponry and ammunition. We, I, was at a, I was at a talk recently given by Brigadier Jim Fettel, who was one of the commanding officers at, at Lufira Bridge uh, when we were trying to break through. And in that speech, he said, and which was quite correct, we, we didn't even have a map to tell us where we were going or what we were doing. And we had no helmets, and uh, food was given out of a tin, and uh, we had five minutes to eat it. And as it turned out, we had nothing to open the tins with. And when we did get the tins open and gouged the, the bit of meat out of it, mm-hmm. we realized it was salted bacon, and we had no water to drink. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> quite, uh, quite honestly... We we were our own worst enemies due to lack of equipment, lack of food, and the and, fact and the fact and, that the UN, who had been called on a number of occasions, hadn't sent in any backup. We we had no backup at all, and um, when when the jets started attacking, uh, which came in at, at intervals of thirty minutes, and came in with the sun's rays, we had nothing to fire back with. And these jets, of course, took out the jeeps, took out the trucks. Well, there, was, well, there was only one truck anyway. They, they demolished our our, yeah. our bus convoy practically, and our only shelter were the Swedish APCs, which would hold ten to twelve men cramped in. And uh, our, they were the heaviest vehicles we had. So we had and no, you you had no air support, of course. The Katangans did have air support. There was um, there was massive uh, a massive appeal went out internationally for some country to send in jets to help us. And eventually there was uh, two jets sent in. And uh, that's where the, the whole situation turned. But it was too late for the for Commandant Quinlan and, and his officers and men because they had already surrendered. Um, and uh, they went through hell, I can tell you, because we were on the outside trying to break in, and we know what we went through. And we weren't under the siege, but under similar conditions. And on returning from the siege back to Elizabethville, we drove into an ambush where where we could have lost anything up to 100 men. But fortunately for us, the darkness came down like a turn off a light switch, and that's what saved our lives. I mean, I, I know Leo spoke yesterday about how, how difficult it was to negotiate that ceasefire. Yeah, at yeah. the time, you know, and when when this all ended, and I'm sure that the whole I listened to you, I could listen to Leo yesterday about you know the reflection on what his dad had told him, yeah, and the stories that he had heard. It must have been an absolute. It must have been hell. It, it was a complete nightmare because um, I was I was one of sixty two personnel on the bus returning, on one of the buses returning from the siege uh, at Lufira Bridge. Uh, when we when we drove into the ambush, and two of my comrades sitting at either side of me were shot. And when I, when we were ordered off the buses, I I stumbled back the way to my equipment, uh, pulled me back down onto the seat behind me, and and I, I was glued to that seat because the men behind me had been shot. It must have been terrifying. And um, I was carrying uh, the first ever. Ent- 
84mm anti-tank rocket launcher that was ever issued to the Irish Army. And I was engaged and engaging enemy troops with that weapon, which was capable of killing 30 personnel with one shot. And I was sent out on various missions uh, to seek and destroy enemy targets. And in doing so, I went missing in action myself. But um, when we did get out of the ambush situation on, on returning from Lufera Bridge, and we, uh, my, my section were, were detailed to remove a sergeant from the tunnel who had been shot in the back. And uh, it was the following evening then that I, I was sent on another mission to deliver mortar bombs to our company at the tunnel in Elizabethville. And it was there I went missing in action, only to find myself, when daylight came, kneeling on a weapon, uh, Gustav, uh, complete with its pooch of ammunition. And by the time I was recovered from that situation, I had used up all that ammunition along with my own. And then I realized this was the position where the sergeant had been shot in the back, and I was there for 24 hours. Have you watched the movie yourself that Netflix I, made? I have. I have seen the movie, yeah. And what, what did you think of it? Was it a true reflection? Do you it, think it, it was, was a true it, reflection? It was a good depiction of the situation, but uh, obviously not the complete story. Mm. And your, on your return to Ireland, when you eventually got back to Ireland, this was, I suppose, one of the sticking points that we spoke about yesterday, that although there was, you know, some sort of welcoming committees in different towns and cities around the country, that it all suddenly went away very quickly and it wasn't spoken about again. Was there, was there a sense of, I don't know whether the Defence Forces were trying to place some sort of shame on the Irish or what the, what actually the, the motive was behind that? Why do you believe, them? what was the motive behind trying to brush this under the carpet? Well, uh, my own opinion of that is the fact that Commandant Quinlan and his officers went out of their way to save their personnel. And in doing so, they had no hesitation in, in returning fire on the people who were attacking them. And the fact that they lost no men. And they killed 300. Pardon? And they killed 300 of the enemy. Well, between, between, yeah. the, between the action at Lufira Bridge yeah. and in Jadville itself, there was approximately 500 of the opposition forces uh, yeah, yeah. destroyed. And wh why do you think it has taken so long to recognise those men and yourself and everybody involved um, and to recognise their bravery? Why do you think it took so long? Yes, um, my answer to that is the fact that no Irish soldiers were killed. And as Donald Trump, and I, I hate quoting him, of one of his own generals recently, he described him as not being a hero because he wasn't killed in the Vietnam War. But that same general had spent five years in the custody of the enemy forces in Vietnam. And that was the mentality of... of the Irish operations when Irish troops returned from the Congo in 1961. Because, because none of them were killed. They weren't heroes, which is quite inaccurate. They were above and beyond being heroes. 
What was, couldn't, what was I, life like for you, Michael, when you came home? I mean, here we are in 2019. It's a long when, time ago now. When, oh. I, when I returned home, uh, and uh, I would imagine that it is the same for any one of those men that returned from action, regardless of what war it was, they came back with letters after the name, which is PTSD. And that is something you live with for the rest of your life. And how you handle it is, there is no medical cure for it. It is something you live with. It is part of you. It's a, it's a, it's a memory in your mind that just keeps replaying and replaying it, and replaying. It is a constant battle. It's, it's mm. in you. It's with you morning, noon and night. And it's a constant struggle then to deal with that. These men were recognised for bravery in 2017. But, That's right. Uh, but uh, as of yet, have received no medals. Well, I think the question here is that there was a recommendation for approximately 20 of, of A Company personnel recommended for a DSM. And to date, it has been brushed under the carpet. They weren't even notified that they were recommended for the DSM. And of course, the problem is a lot of these men, uh, some of them have passed away since, but a lot of them, these men are getting older. Well, at, Just like yourself, Michael, we're all getting a bit older. Yeah, yeah. But at, at the presentation of, of on Bon Jadeville in 2017, um, I realised that it was the grandchildren and, and uh, the daughters and sons of, of these fine soldiers mm-hmm. that were collecting the medals. Yeah. And, and as you said, uh, some of them have yet to be presented. And have you personally have any, had any recognition from the state for your part? the part you played? Well, our, our part in that, in that actions, were, we were awarded with the, the normal uh, duty medal. Mm-hmm. And then we were awarded with the UN Peace Medal. Now, whether, whether there is any further awards being given, I wouldn't have any idea about mm. that. But uh, I have a poem here which reflects on the siege itself. If I may read it out yes, for go you. ahead, go ahead, very well, you're welcome. It's titled, No White Feathers on Parade. The year was 1961, when Ireland sent away her sons to stop the genocide being done with bow and arrow, spear and gun. Quinlan led his soldiers on, and he vowed to bring them home again. So the countdown had begun, for battle neath the Congo sun. With massive odds to overcome, the siege of Jadaville had begun. The Irish soldiers dug in well. They sent a jet to give them hell. Count your rounds, you brave young men. Use your bayonets when they come. Round for round, shell for shell. Three thousand men they did repel. So raise your glasses, everyone. Tell this story to your sons. Tell them of the history made. There was no white feathers on parade. Six days since it had begun, with water, food, and bullets gone. The order came, lower your guns. Lads, be proud of what you've done. But when to Ireland they returned, doors were closed and backs were turned. It's taken many years to tell of the bravery at Jadaville. So raise your glasses, everyone. Tell the story to your sons. Tell them of the history made by Quinlan and his light brigade. No white feathers 
on parade. I gotta say that really brings it home to everybody listening today, Michael. And um, how are you, by the way, today? How are you feeling yourself, or how are you? How's your health? Are you all right? Well, uh, as I said, now PTSD plays a big mm. part in the life, you know. Yep. But uh, but thanks to medical science, um, you're getting on with it. Yep, getting on with it now, and uh, I, I've great admiration for the men of A Company and for the men of B Company. And great admiration for the present-day soldiers who are serving under atrocious conditions because they are not being recognized as the ambassadors of the country that is sending them overseas to serve under the flag of the United Nations. They are not being recognized and, and their families are living a, a turbulent existence uh, with the pay and wages and conditions they're living in. Please government do what you're supposed to do look after your army and give them respect as they were once described as the best ambassadors that were ever sent abroad to serve overseas well i can tell you now michael the country owes you a debt certainly and the people of ireland owe you a debt as well I have so many texts, by the way, coming in. So much admiration for you and also uh, for Leo and for, should I say, for Pat, uh, who passed away, sadly, many years ago. But somebody else wants to know, can you ask that man, did he know Tony Carney from Kilkenny? He was in the Congo in 1961. That comes in from Padraig. Another person says, my uncle Paul was in the Congo in 1961. I think he was there, but unsure uh, if he was named after him, if I was named after him. But sadly, Uncle Paul has since passed away. Um, as I said to you, many of these men have passed away and they are a memory, but they are a mem- we remember them now, clearly as it's been in the news quite a lot, particularly in the last couple of days, we remember them as heroes and certainly some men who need to be applauded for what they did for Ireland. Yeah. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Michael. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful and thank weekend. You, thank you very much. All right, thank you very much. Bye for now. I want to do something that I haven't done in eight years on this show. I've been eight years on this show. I've never once apologised for anything. I would always be very careful. Well, I believe I'm reasonably careful that I will just speak my mind. But on numerous occasions, we've had topics in relation to the Irish Army. And I think I've been flippant. And when I listen to stories like Michael's and young Leo yesterday, who was talking about his father, and those men from 1961 and what they did and how they served the Irish Army, I think it's important that I apologise to anybody who would have been listening to any of those shows where I spoke about the army and maybe in such a tone that may not have been respectful. Uh, So I do apologise to you if that was the case. My mind has definitely been changed listening to those men uh, over the last two days. And um, there's so many texts, by the way, coming in from people who've also had fathers or grandfathers who were there at the time. Um, And uh, another person says, now audio history has just been made. Uh, I would agree with you. Uh, I would love a recording of that poem being read by Michael. And it is, and I'll tell you what, we will we will put it up in a podcast, and it is something that will probably be used in history in 100 years, the recording of Michael Kelly uh, reading out his poem about the men in the siege of Janneville. Um, loads and loads of people texting in, somebody says, now I'm in tears after listening to that man on the radio. Yes, equally, I was equally um, moved by, the, by Leo yesterday talking about his father, Pat. And loads and loads and loads of people texting in in relation to that. And I think he makes a very good point in relation to the men and women who are still serving for the UN and the Irish Army and still going over in peacekeeping missions. Uh, Somebody points out that they're getting less wages than the Garda Síochána, a lot less. Um, And if we're going to have an army, and I've often talked about the fact that maybe we don't need one, um, you know, that we could use other divisions for bomb bomb squads and everything else. But if we are going to have an army and a Minister for Defence, 
I think it's time that they pay them a wage that they could actually survive on. A lot of men in the army are taking a second job doing nixers, and we even heard of one person who was living in a car recently because they couldn't afford rent. If you're going to have an army, and we are going to have an army, we need to respect the people who are in it. And I think it's time that they had a reasonable salary, a proper salary, not the pittance that they're being offered on a regular basis. So to all those men and women in the army, and all, particularly all those who go on peacekeeping missions, I admire your bravery. And again, for the first time in eight years, I've apologised, and I do apologise if you feel that I've disrespected you in the past, because listening to those two men and what they went through and that harrowing story over the last, well, over five days of a siege, it must, or siege, it must have been absolutely hell. And I can only imagine what Michael and other men who went through that, the, the nightmare that they still live. All right, loads and loads of people texting in. So all the men and women of the army, I am absolutely 100% behind you. If we're going to have an army, let's pay them proper money. We pay the guards proper money. We pay the nurses proper money. If, we have, if we're going to have an army, and you believe that's the right thing to do, that even though we are a neutral country, that we need peacekeeping missions, we need bomb squads, we need an aerial service, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you believe we need that and we need an army, and we're going to have it, and we've 8,000 people there doing that, let's pay them a decent wage. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.